you have your Bibles, I'd like to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Certainly good to be here today and to be with you and trust the Lord would bless us uh, to examine and some of parts of God's Word. <clears throat> um, we begin <coughs> reading in Ephesians chapter 1. <coughs> Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted, in the beloved. That's several verses. That's all one sentence, actually. Um, <clears throat> this morning, if the Lord be my helper, I follow the impression of my mind, I'd like to try to speak on the Bible doctrine of election. The Bible doctrine of election. And this fourth verse, uh, let's start in verse three again. Blessed be the God and our Father, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings and heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. If we center our thoughts here on the fourth verse, very clearly it says that God chose a people in Christ before the foundation of the world, and that this choice that God made of people in Christ was not to material wealth, it wasn't to uh, material blessings, it was a choice in Christ before the foundation of the world for what purpose, to what end. And he says that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, you know, we're, we're called the, uh, we're supposed to greet all the bread with a holy kiss. There's hope we're, we're called on in first Peter chapter one to be holy for I am holy. God said, we're supposed to be a holy people unto God, separated and sanctified unto God in our daily lives. But I'm going to tell you, we will never, ever stand completely holy and with without blame before Him in love until that day when these bodies, when the sin that are in our members, you remember Paul said in Romans chapter 7, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. We still have sin. We're tainted with sin. But one day when these vile bodies are changed and fashioned like in His own glorious body and we go home to be with the Lord forever and ever, when we're there in that place, we will be presented to the Father as holy and without blame. We'll stand there holy and without blame before Him in love having not even the presence of sin in our members. Alright? That's, this is, this is a choice that God made to save a people from their sins. And when we talk about the subject of election, the Bible doctrine of election, there's a lot of people that don't understand it's a Bible doctrine. I was, uh, heard from a man one time, he preached several years for our people, he, he, uh, he, he went to a seminary, man's schools, and he noticed some of these Bible passages which spoke of election and the sovereignty of God and the choice that God made. Ephesians chapter 1, uh, he noticed Romans chapter 9 talking about 
God's sovereign choice, that he'll have mercy upon whom he'll have mercy, he'll have compassion upon whom he'll have compassion. And he went to his seminary professors and said, what about these verses that teach election? Because they were being taught in that seminary that it all depends on the sinner and the extent of the people that's going to be in heaven isn't by a choice that God made. But if we can get the gospel to be preached out there more and more, we're going to get more people in heaven because more decisions for Christ. And the extent of the number of people that's going to be in heaven is dependent upon how far we can get the gospel spread to these people. That was the theology that they had in that place. And he said, why aren't we, you know, we don't ever talk about election. The Bible talks about it. What's going on? He said, and his, his seminary professors told him, said, look, election's taught in the Bible, but you don't need to be preaching that to people because it'll confuse them. It'll confuse them. And it's not profitable for evangelism. And I'll just say that the doctrine of election, that's a common misconception. We're going to, you say, what's election? I've already kind of told you the basics. God chose a people in Christ before the foundation of the world that they would, that they would stand before God holy and without blame before Him in love. That He chose a people to save. All the people that's going to be saved in heaven is because God made a choice. Gave a people in Christ to save, to save them. He came and died for them. He's going to take them all home. Alright? Alright, so God made a decision of who is going to save. And one of the greatest objections of Election is, they say that, uh, it's not profitable. It's not profitable for evangelism. Cause you feel, if you tell people that there's a set number of people that got chose, that God chose before the foundation of the world, that He actually saved them to glory and live with Him in heaven, then that's gonna distract from evangelism. It's, it doesn't at all. It only distracts and is not profitable to an unscriptural view of evangelism. If you have a view of evangelism that the extent, the number of people in heaven is determined by how many people you get to and how many you can evangelize, then I can see how the doctrine of election might be unprofitable and discourage evangelism. But my friends, you know, there are people in this world that believe that the number of people, if we preach less gospel, there's going to be less number of people in heaven. If we preach more gospel, there's going to be more that's going to be in heaven. But my friends, that's not true. God has a definite number of people that He chose to to save to heaven that they would stand before Him with holy without blame before Him in love. But that seminary professor said, you don't preach... That's just something for us theologians to talk about among ourselves. Don't preach that to people. Well, evidently that word's followed because there's a lot of places in the country where the doctrine of election is not taught. People out in the pews, they have no clue. I, uh, I've told this story before. I'll tell it again because I think about it. Uh, back several years ago when I was working, work at A&M and I was in a lab and, and had a young lady there and we would talk religion. They said, well, what does your church believe about this? Well, we talk about it a little bit. What does your church believe about that? Talk about it a little while. Finally, I said, well, what does your church believe about election? And she said, well, we're really not Republicans or Democrats. We just evaluate the person and make our vote. She had no clue that there was a Bible doctrine of election taught in the Bible. But there is. Uh, A lot of people say it's not profitable to preach. Well, I submit to you based on the Word of God that it is profitable. I find in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16, it says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. 
for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto good works. All right, so that tells me all Scripture is profitable. You believe that? Is it, if it's Scripture, is it profitable? Well, the Bible tells us, is, is, is election taught in the Bible? If it is, I argue that it's profitable. Now, you may not know what it's profitable for. I may not know what it's profitable for. But actually, I do know some things it's profitable for. You know what it's really profitable for? Evangelism. So what do you mean? We go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. Paul says, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He wanted to preach that they would obtain or experience and see the great salvation they had in Jesus Christ. And he endured all things for who? For the elect's sake. Alright, what did he endure? When you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it says he endured a lot of things. <clears throat> he endured prison, hunger, thirst, cold. Five times of the Jews, he was beaten with 40 stripes, save one. 195 stripes went across him. He endured a lot of things. Three times he was beaten with rods. Three times he was shipwrecked. Once he was stoned, left for dead. Well, he endured all those things. Well, what did he endure all those things? Because he knew he had a people out there and God sent him to go preach to the people who I endure all things for the elect's sake. I'm going to tell you, if there's no such thing as the elect's sake, then he has suffered all those things for nobody. Alright? He endured all those afflictions for nobody. He says, I endure all these things for the elect's sake, you see. And I find you, you say, uh, and I, I, I can, I'm kind of, I'll just went to tell you. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The Lord Jesus Christ encouraged the doctrine of election is profitable for evangelism. Here's another example. Not only was Paul enduring all things because God, he knew God had an elect people out there that he's supposed to get the gospel to, to preach to. I find over in, verse, uh, in Acts chapter 18, we find that the apostle Paul was at a wicked city called Corinth. And evidently, he was kind of fearful. Uh, of going and preaching because the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him in a vision. And he says over there in Acts chapter 18, I think about verse 9 and 10, This spake the Lord to Paul in, in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy... It says, Hold not thy peace. Go ahead and preach. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. Why? For I have much people in this city. You go ahead and preach the gospel. You go evangelize this place. You go preach the word. Why? Because I've got a people out here in this city. There's some of my people in this city. He says, go ahead and preach. No man shall say on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. The Lord Jesus Christ just used the, the doctrine of election to encourage a discouraged preacher to keep on preaching on. And he was already had for his mantra, I endure all things for the elect. Hey, guess what, Paul? Some of my people's here. It may be a wicked city. Uh, you might be fearful that they're going to stone you and leave you for dead. But guess what? I've got a lot of my people here. You go ahead and preach. When he says, I've got a people here, uh, that speaks of election. All right, let's just look. Does the Bible teach election? We've already looked at a few verses that talk about election. Paul talked about election. 
He goes over there to 1 Thessalonians and he writes those Thessalonians brethren and he talks about his manner of entering in unto them, how they turn to God from idols to serve the true and living God. 1 Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. He starts out there and he says, we're, uh, he says, we thank God for you all making mention of you in our prayers. He says, we remember without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, he says, knowing brethren beloved, your election of God. Well, how did he know of their election? He says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and of the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance. See? They became followers of the Lord. You know the best evidence to know of elect people is they start following the Lord. They turn to start following the Lord. These people turn from idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for His Son from uh, from heaven, which raised Him from the dead. That's verse 10 of that first chapter. Alright? He says, I know, brethren, beloved, your election of God. How do you know that? Because when I preached the gospel, it didn't just come in word only. But it came in power and the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. And you became followers of the Lord. That's the best evidence of election right there. People that are elect don't have a big neon E burned in their forehead or brand. You don't know who the elect are. You don't know. And a lot of times people have a problem with election that God chose a people before the foundation of the world to save because they say, well, what if I love the Lord and believe in the Lord, but He didn't choose me? Well, if you love the Lord and believe in the Lord, He did choose you. You just you just made the circle too, too shallow. You say, here's all mankind and God made a little circle here. And what if you're outside the circle? Well, if you love the Lord, you just drew the circle too short because you're included in it. Because if you hadn't been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, you would not love the Lord your God. Alright? There are no evidences of non-election. There can be some evidences of someone not born of the Spirit of God. But there are no evidences of non-election. Because until it's revealed, it's a secret with God. You'd be assured though, that you would never know the Lord, you'd never love the Lord, never follow the Lord, except God had set His love upon you in the beginning. And we'll maybe look at that in a minute. Let's, let's just look. The Apostle Paul spoke of the elect. He says, I know, brethren beloved, your election of God. I endure all things for the elect's sake. He says over in Titus chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect. There's the word elect again. And if there's no such thing as God's elect, there's no such thing as the faith of God's elect. Might as well erase that out of the Bible. No such thing as the faith of God's elect if there's no God's elect. But there is God's elect. Paul spake about it. So we're finding it in Scripture, are we not? And all Scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine. This is a good doctrine. This is a useful doctrine. It's a true doctrine. Alright? The doctrine of election. You go to Romans chapter 8, verse 33. Who shall lay any, Paul says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. There he's talking about God's elect. Alright? It's not just Paul. Uh, we can go over to, to Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 1. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Alright? Elect. Peter talked about election. Paul talked about election. We're finding it in scripture, are we not? Well, if we find it in scripture, we know it's profitable. You know, Jesus talked about the elect. 
Sometimes I, I've told you this before. I've ran a few, across a few people says, you know, I don't believe the Old Testament. I just believe the New. Then I've had a few people say, well, you know, I, I believe I, I, I don't believe Paul's writings. I only believe the words in red. I only believe what Jesus said. Well, let's see what Jesus said about election. He talked about election too. We go to Luke chapter 18. Jesus preached a parable. He taught a parable that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Here in Luke chapter 18, he says he spake a parable to them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And I know I'm going quick. You want to turn there? I'll slow it down just a little bit, so so I won't. You know, I have sometimes people say, "Well, you know, you get to I get to the scripture, you're already to another one." Well, I'm going to be here just for a little bit, so go ahead and turn. All right. He says, he says, he spake this parable unto all to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, "There was in a city a judge which feareth not God, neither regardeth man." And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. Now remember, this is an unjust judge. He, he doesn't really fear God. You know, a good judge really fears God, because he's a, God holds him accountable to judge right, make righteous judgment. Well, this guy doesn't fear God. He doesn't regard man. Alright? And... uh <laughs> I'd almost comment about some judges we may have in this day. But anyway, uh, didn't fear God, uh, weren't judging righteously. He didn't care that much about judging righteously, all right? So what did he do? But this woman, he said, he would not avenge her of her adversary for a while. Verse 4 says, and he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, though I fear not God, nor regard man, Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Alright? Now he's teaching that here's an unjust judge that doesn't care about God, doesn't care about people, but yet this judge is going to give the petition of this little woman because of her continual coming. And he's teaching us to be constant in prayer, to continue to come at God in prayer. And the lesson is, if this old unjust judge that doesn't care about this woman or God or anything else will will grant the petition, how much more is your Heavenly Father going to grant the petition of His children which continually come? That's the lesson. But listen to what He says. The Lord said in verse 6, Hear what the unjust judge saith. He now get, get this. He's going to avenge this woman because her continually coming to Him troubles Him, so He's going to grant her petition. Well, hear what the unjust judge. See what the unjust judge did. Jesus said, and shall, verse 7, And shall not God avenge His own elect, which cry day and night unto Him, though He bear long with them? He said, God's going to avenge His own elect, which cry unto Him. Alright? And I want you to notice just a few things we've, we've said thus far. <clears throat> Whose elect is this? This is God's elect. We saw over there, we talked about in Titus, talked about according to the faith of God's elect. That's capital G-O-D apostrophe S. God's elect. That means He, they're His. They're His elect. And here in this place, He says, shall not God avenge His own elect? See, He owns them. They're His people, you see. So God's going to avenge His own people. And he'll do it speedily, though he bear long with them. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's, capital G-O-D apostrophe S, elect? God's elect. 
They're God's elect. Alright? Because God chose them. You say, what's the definition? What do you mean God chose them? Yeah. Uh, let's turn to Mark chapter 13. We're going to find Jesus is going to define for us who the elect are. Who are this elect? What does that mean, elect? If we go to Mark chapter 13. This is, uh, this is when they were, they came out of the temple and the Lord Jesus Christ said, not one stone upon another is going to be, you know, they're all going to be thrown down. And his disciples asked him, he said, when shall these things be and the sign of thy coming? Those questions. When's all this going to happen? Well, Jesus is telling them a lot of these things and we find in verse 19, he says, for in those days shall be affliction such as not was from the beginning of the creation which God created unto this time neither shall be. A lot of days of affliction, he's saying, is going to happen. Then he says in verse 21, verse 20, I mean, he says, and except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened those days. Now he just told us something here, that there's going to be these great days of afflictions like they've never seen before. And if the Lord had stepped in to intervene here and shorten those days, everybody would die. That's what it said. No flesh should be saved. And except the Lord had shortened those days, these days of affliction, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom He hath chosen, He shortened the days. Now that's the, that's what it's saying. But notice what He just said. But for the elect's sake, whom He hath chosen. He just defined for us who the elect are. One of the things about the elect, they're those whom God have chosen. But for the elect's sake, whom He hath chosen, He hath shortened the days. So Jesus talked about the elect. He, uh, he You keep on down here. He talks about... Uh, verse 22 says, For false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall show, show, show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. Now I went to, I went to great pains here just to show you different places the Bible speaks of the elect. To show you it is in scripture, is it not? Well, if it's in scripture and all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable, then the Bible teaching of election is profitable. And we've already talked about how it's profitable to encourage a discouraged preacher to an evangelism. Alright? It's profitable. But it's also glorifying to God. And without the divine, without God choosing a people according as He hath chosen us in Him. See, that's a great blessing that we have. Back up to Ephesians 1.3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath, past tense, blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. All the spiritual blessings we have were in Christ and are in Christ. And here's one of them. According as He hath chosen us in Him, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. If God had never made a decision to save a people, He would never sent the Lord Jesus Christ into the world to save this people, and we'd never be saved. Not be saved. If God hadn't determined before to save a people, He wouldn't have saved the people. Alright? Some people have a problem with, it, with predestination. Ah, oh, you old Baptists believe in predestination. Elder Lemuel Potter was a primitive Baptist up in the Illinois area. In his autobiography, he, uh, 
he talked about he was on a train going to a preaching meeting. And this lady found out he was an old Baptist preacher and said, Oh, you those folks believe in predestination. He said, Well, you know, you believe, I'm sure you believe in predestination too. Oh, no, I don't. He said, Well, when you go into the kitchen to bake a cake, do you determine beforehand you're going to go bake a cake before you bake it? She said, Well, yeah. So you determined beforehand what you were going to do? Yeah. Well, that's what God did. God determined beforehand who He's going to save and whom He would give Christ. But let's look. Let's keep going. We find that the, the, when we study the Bible doctrine of election, it's not just, you know, the word elect's not the only thing you need to study. Because the elect are not only called God's elect, but they're also called His people. His people. And I find over in, uh, Matthew 121, the angel came to Joseph, said, Fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And thou shalt bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's another word for the elect. Are his people, you see. His people. They're his people. They belong to him. Because the Father gave a people to him. But they're referred to as his people. In Isaiah chapter 53, in this prophetic chapter concerning the Lord Jesus Christ, and his death. This is the chapter that the eunuch was reading over there in the book of Acts, where he, he asked, you know, does he speak of himself or some other man? And Philip got in there and he preached Jesus unto him out of the 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And the 53rd chapter of Isaiah verse 8 says about the Lord, and prophetically about the Lord Jesus Christ, says he was, he was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off, that means died. He was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. My people. He was stricken for my people, you see. So God has a people. Uh, the hundredth psalm say in verse 3, it says, Know ye that the Lord, and we actually sang a hymn, the hundredth psalm. Did y'all realize that? We were singing the hundredth psalm in one of those psalms. He says, Know ye that the Lord, verse 3 says, Know ye that the Lord... He is God. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. That says we're His people. See, God has a people that are His. And if you look in Psalms 95 verse 7, it says, For He is our Lord and we are the, we are the men of His pasture and the sheep in His hand. Alright? One verse says we're His people and the sheep of His pasture. The other one says we're men in His pasture and the sheep in His hand. You say, well, what, about if the, what do you mean about this sheep? Well, that's another term for the elect, or his sheep. His sheep. The Lord is the good shepherd. He says in John chapter 11, uh, John chapter 10 verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. The sheep. Well, I thought we read in Isaiah 53 verse 8, it says, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. Well, my people and my sheep are all the same. So we can read where he's talking about his sheep. Those are His people. And that's why in the judgment at the last day that Christ gives us a picture of in Matthew chapter 25 verse 31, we find sheep on the right hand. He says, all nations are going to be gathered. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He set upon the throne of His glory, and all nations shall be gathered unto Him. And He shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divideth His sheep 
from the goats. Those are His people on the right hand. Alright? Those are His people, His sheep. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 11 again, He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth His life for the sheep. Verse 25, verse 15 says, He layeth down His life for the sheep. He gave His life. He laid down His life for the sheep. He was caught off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people was He stricken. Which actually teaches limited atonement also, does it not? He died and laid down His life for the sheep. See, salvation isn't that hard to understand when we understand, I mean, it's, it, we, people complicate it. Christ chose a people in Christ. The Father gave him, there were, a people were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Okay? They're called His people, His sheep. Christ laid down His life for the sheep. For the transgression of my people, He was cut off. And you find them all there at the end, where they're, all the sheep are on the right hand side, and hear the words, Come ye blessed in my Father, inherit the kingdom, prepare for you from the foundation of the world. The same ones, that were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world are the same ones that Christ, for whom Christ died, and it's the same ones He gives eternal life to, and it's the same ones that's going to be on the right hand that that enter into the joy of the Lord. He came to save a people from their sins. Why was He named Jesus? That means Savior, for He shall save His people from their sins. So. They're called the elect. They're called His people. They're called the sheep. But do you know why they're His people? Jesus said He shall save His people. That's Christ's people. Christ has a people. The only reason He has a people is because the Father in covenant before the foundation of the world gave Him a people. There was a people chosen in Him when? Before the foundation of the world. They were chosen in Him. So why has He got this people? The Father gave Him a people. And He spoke about that many times. And if there's any here that only believes the words in red, let's look a little more words in red. You ought to believe it all. Because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's inspired and preserved. But here we find the words of Jesus in John chapter 6, uh, about verse uh, 37. He says, All that the Father giveth me. You want to know why the Son has a people? Because the Father gave Him a people. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And he that cometh to me, I will no wise cast out. He goes to verse 39. He says, And this is the will of the Father which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, there's the second, given me, shall come to me. All that the Father giveth me, I shall lose nothing, but shall raise it up again at the last day. All that the Father giveth me. Go, to, go with me to John chapter 17. We're going to find Jesus says, The Father gave me some people. Alright? John chapter 17. Verse... 1, 2, and 3, Jesus lifted up His eyes unto heaven, said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son may also glorify Thee. Verse 2. What does He say in John 17, verse 2? He says, As Thou hast... He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son may also glorify Thee. As Thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. I gotta tell you what, he just told the population of heaven right there. Y'all, y'all listening? You saw how, oh, you mean he tells us how many people's gonna be in heaven? How many people's gonna have eternal life? He certainly does. He doesn't give you the raw number. Alright. That, that number's uh, described as, as many as the stars of the heaven for multitude or sand by the seashore. That's how it's described. 
But here's how it's described here. He says, Thou hast given Him power over all flesh. The Father gave the Son power over all flesh that the Son of God would do what? Give eternal life. To who? To who? To as many as Thou hast given Him. He's speaking in the third person here. You gave a people to the Son. Thou hast given Him power. That is the Son. Power over all flesh that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. You know who those are that God gave Him? John chapter 10 talks about the sheep. I know my sheep. I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. All the people for whom Christ uh, received from the Father to give eternal life to, do you think He's going to fail to do that? He's never failed to do that. Alright? He's not going to fail to give eternal life to a one of them. And anybody that has is given eternal life, I'm going to tell you what, it's a sheep because God only gives it to sheep. Christ only gives eternal life to sheep. There are those in the Bible that talks about a goat. God doesn't give eternal life to goats. He gives them to sheep. But you know what? Those goats are perfectly happy. Because they are wicked. The wicked we find in Psalms 10, 4 says the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. You know what the wicked, what they have a heart of? Go look in Job 21, verse 14. It says, Wherefore the wicked say unto God, Depart from me, I desire not the knowledge of thy ways. I don't desire the knowledge of thy ways. They don't deny, desire God. They don't love God or the things of God. It only takes, it takes, any prayer to, to love God, it takes a work of grace in their heart to change, to know God. Jeremiah 24 verse 7 says, I'll give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord. And no one is ever going to know that He's actually the Lord that reigns unless God gives you a heart to know Him. Alright? God has a people because the Father gave Christ a people. You say, well, you made an emphasis a while ago about God's elect. You said they were God's. That is the Father giving them to the Son. So are they the sons or are they the fathers? They're both. Drop down in John chapter 17. Jesus just talked about those that the Father had given Him. He says, verse 9, He says, I pray for them. He says, I pray not for the world. I pray not for the world, but for those which Thou hast given Me. See, He gave Him a people out of the world. He says, I don't pray for the world. I pray for them which thou hast given me. He says, for they are thine. The son's talking to the father. For they are thine. But look in verse 10. He says, and mine are thine. And thine are mine. See, we're the Lord's. I mean, there's only one God. There's three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Son, Holy Ghost. Alright? The Holy Ghost. But we belong to the Father, we belong to the Son. And I'd say we belong to the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost is God. Alright? But in this this uh, covenant of grace, God, the Father, gave Christ a people to give eternal life to. And He'll give them to every one of them. Now, at this juncture, I want to I look at a few things about election. Want to look and see that it's eternal, it's personal, it's unconditional on our part. Because a lot of people have, you know, even though the theologians up in the seminary says don't preach this to the common people, they have their own ideas of election, and we'll talk about a little bit of those. Because sometimes it takes some sifting through. Because if a person's going to take, if a person's going to believe the Bible, 
He's going to see elections taught in the Bible. He's got to say something about it. Okay? And we'll look at a few things like that. But let me just say this. There's people who think, okay, God, I understand. The very clear Jesus says that the Father gave the Son power over all flesh that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. They're called the elect. They're, they're His people. They're also the sheep. Alright? And not everybody's a sheep. If we continue in the 10th chapter of John, we just saw verse 11 and 15 where He says, I give my life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. Well, if you continue reading, there were some that came to Christ and said, If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus said in verse uh, 25, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not because you're not of my sheep. More words in red, by the way. Jesus says there are a people that the Father gave the Son to give eternal life to. And I give, I, I know my sheep, I give unto them eternal life, this elect people chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. I give unto them eternal life and they're never going to perish, but there's also some people that are not of His sheep. That says that not all people are His sheep. And one of the main objections that I find against the Bible doctrine of election is this idea that I tried to cover this morning a little bit in the Bible study, how we expect God, uh, we have these expectations of God that He's, you know, a lot, a lot of people go to the Bible, they have their own expectations of who God is, what He's like before they go to the Bible. They already know what they believe about God and there's a lot of people who believe that God, uh, you know, He's got to treat everybody the same. We just showed in the Bible sermon this morning, in this Bible study, how that there was, in the days of Elisha, days of Elisha there was a lot of lepers over in Israel. God didn't recover them of their leprosy. In the days of Elisha, over in Luke chapter 4, it says that there was a lot of widows in Israel in the days of Elisha of Elijah, the Tishbite. But God didn't send him to any of those Israelite women in the famine. Sent him to this Gentile woman of Sidon. Sustained her. God sustained her and Elijah through that famine. And after Jesus brought those two historical facts of God's sovereign decision... To not to bless all these Israelites that were lepers or all these widows in Israel that were, uh, you know, in famine and chose to bless one Gentile Syrian, clearing from leprosy, and this little woman. When he told and brought that to their mind, it says those people were filled with wrath. They took him to thrust, to thrust him headlong to kill him, throw him down the hill and kill him. They got mad at God. Because why? Because they thought that He should preach and heal in this city of Nazareth. And I'm not going back through all that lesson. But you know, they were coming. He came back to Nazareth where He's brought up. And they said, uh, physician, uh, 
they, they, they basically were wanting Jesus to perform all these miracles in Nazareth and He didn't perform a miracle one. Because God wasn't obliga- under obligation to p- p- perform a miracle in Nazareth. He wasn't obligated. You say, why didn't He uh, choose to cleanse the lepers of Israel back in Elisha's day? Because He didn't choose to do so. You ever heard of Scripture says, I'll have mercy upon whom I'll have mercy? I'll have compassion upon whom I'll have compassion. That's over in Romans chapter 9, which we're going to get to in a minute. Do you realize? See, what I'm trying to tell you is, we have our expectations of what God is like. But I'm going to tell you from a biblical perspective, God was never under obligation to choose to save any of us. That's right. You know, the Bible talks about angels that sinned and were cast to hell. Have you ever read about the Redeemer that the Father sent to redeem the fallen angels? You ever read about that anywhere in the Bible? It's not there. Evidently, He let them go their own way. God's not at fault. And I'm going to tell you, when God set man and made him good in the Garden of Eden... He made him good. There was no fault. But through disobedience, he broke the law of God and he plunged all mankind, wherefore by one man's sin, death entered into the world and death by sin. Romans 5, 12. We became sinners in Adam. And I'm going to tell you that God had looked down and treated us just like the fallen angels and said, well, going to let them go their own place. He would have been perfectly just. I mean, what kind of obligation are we going to put on God? Job 33, verse 13 says, Why dost thou strive with Him? For He uh, answereth none of His matters. God is a sovereign God. And if He chooses to have mercy upon a little Gentile woman in the days of Elijah and sustain her through a famine, how can you complain against that? Because God's God and you're not. I mean, if anybody wants to, doesn't like how God's doing stuff and His will, uh, just become a God yourself and have your own world if you can do it. Then you can play God and be your own God with your own ideas of what God is. We are, we must bow our knee to what God's Word reveals to us of what God is. And I'm going to tell you what, it makes grace more like grace and mercy when we see that God was not under obligation to save every, any one of us. Not a one of us. But my friends, he looked down and he saw fallen man. And he chose to save the people out of it. Those that aren't saved out of it, they don't have love for God. They're enmity against God. They say, depart from us, I desire not the knowledge of thy ways. They could care less about God and the things of God because that's how we are by nature. You know how we are by nature because we all got nature in us, right? We want to do things whatever we want to do, how we want to do it. We don't want anybody being a God over us. Right? That's how we are. Everybody's got a little bit of that, right? The flesh lusts against the spirit. Spirit's against the flesh. Alright? But let's see what the Bible says about election. What about this election? A people were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And this people was given to Christ. Given to Christ. This is the will of the Father which has sent me, that all which He hath given me I should lose nothing. I'm going to raise Him up out of the dead. 
He's going to give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And we're going to find when the Lord Jesus Christ takes us home and presents us to the Father, I believe there's going to be a fulfillment of Hebrews 2.13, which he says, Behold I, Jesus is going to say, Behold I and the children which thou hast given me. End quote. Behold I. I love that text. Behold I and the children which thou hast given unto me. That's Scripture. Because those that he gave to give eternal life to, he's going to give them the eternal life and they're going to go home and they're going to present them to the Father. Behold, I and the children which thou hast given me. Alright? Well, when did, alright, let's look, look at a few things about election. It's eternal. What do you mean by eternal? I mean that it wasn't, uh, you know, there, there's no divine election taking place today. Some people have their ideas of election. Well, yeah, okay, election is, you know, God's got to vote, Satan's got to vote, and I got the tiebreaker. What you gonna do? Uh, this election I'm talking about is over. It's not election. It's not about us choosing to follow the Lord right now. This election I'm talking about, we already read in Ephesians 1 4. According as he hath chosen us in him, when did that happen? When did that happen? Before the foundation of the world. Wow. That we should stand holy without blame before him in love. Before the foundation of the world. Alright? Alright, that tells us it's eternal. You see, I find over in Second Timothy chapter uh, uh, one, about verse nine and ten, he talks about how that God, how, how we that He hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. It's talking about the new birth. Do you know what the new birth is based upon? <laughs> the purpose and grace that was given us in Christ before the foundation of the world, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace. Which, which we had in Christ Jesus, with purpose of grace that was given us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. So there was purpose and grace in the covenant of grace that the Father gave the Son a people to save. And there was purpose and grace given those people, uh, in Christ before the foundation of the world. Alright? And not only that, there was purpose and grace, but there was a place prepared for them for the foundation of the world. Go with me back over to Matthew chapter 25. You know, those on the, those on the right hand, which are the sheep, that the Father gave the Son to save. Behold, I the children which thou hast given me. He gave them the people to give eternal life to. They're all going to be on the right hand side because Christ died for them. He laid down His life for the sheep. He gave His life for the sheep. He gives His sheep eternal life. That's why they're on the right hand side. And He's going to look to those on the right hand side and say, Come you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. See, there was a kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world. There was purpose and grace given them before the foundation of the world. They were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. And also, my friends, their names were written in the Lamb's book of life for the foundation of the world. Go with me to Revelation chapter 17, verse 8. You can look at 13, 8 too. It talks about some that's going to be worshiping this beast whose names were not written in the Lamb's book of life. Go to 17, 8. It talks about some who are going to be wandering after the beast. You know that beast? And it says, whose names were not written in the Lamb's, in the book of life. From the foundation of the world. That tells me some people's names were written in the Lamb's book of life. From the foundation of the world. You remember over, I remember over there reading over there in Luke chapter 10 where Jesus sent out the 70 and to preach and to heal. And, uh, they came back all joyful and say, even, even the spirits are subject unto us through thy name. 
You know what Jesus said about verse 9 or 10? He said, don't rejoice because the spirits are subject to your name, uh, subject to you through my name, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Yes. Names are written in heaven. Alright, and that, 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 that brings us to the next thing. Not only is it eternal that there was names written in the Lamb's Book of Life from the foundation of the world, there are people chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, grace and purpose given us in Christ before the foundation of the world, and also a place prepared for them from the foundation of the world. God chose to save a people and He gave His purpose and grace and all these things, alright? But not only was it eternal, this choice was in eternity past before the foundation of the world, God did some things. And He singled out you out and placed His love upon you. And if you want to understand what it is, that, that uh, go to Deuteronomy chapter 7 sometimes, and you'll find how that God chose to bless the nation Israel to be a special nation above all other nations of the earth. He said, I, He says that God set His love on them. You know why God chose a people in Christ before the foundation of the world? It's because He loved them. He loved them. And He he chose to set His love upon unlovable people. And if you think you're so lovable, if anybody out there thinks you're so lovable, you're probably not in the uh, best state of mind that you should be in. Because my friends, we're all as an unclean thing. David says, I'm a worm and no man. There's one place that says we're less than nothing. How do you see yourself? Well, God saw some things in you and He set His love upon you. But there's nothing good. He set His love upon us and He chose us. Before, before you, uh, you know, not ever, you know, there's people here that's married and unmarried. But before you did or before you do marry somebody, are you going to marry them and decide to start loving them later? Are you going to choose them? Are you going to choose your mate uh, based on, you know, just some happenstance and then you decide to love her later? Love him later? No. I'll tell you what, love's the moving cause that God chose us to redeem a people from their sins, to live with him in glory. All right? And it's a personal thing. God didn't just look down and say, you know what, I'm going to decide, I'm just going to, you know, round up a bunch of folks. No, He had individual people in mind. That's what I mean when I say election is not only eternal, before the, a choice made in Christ before the foundation of the world. But my friends, it's personal. In other words, God singled you out as a person. And He chose you. If you love the Lord, if you love the Lord today, and you understand anything about Jesus Christ and what He's done for you, for your sins, I'm going to tell you what, He chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. And my friends, if He had not chosen you, we sing a song here sometimes, If He, I think it's we sung it here, if He had not chosen me, I had not chosen Him. Something to that effect. Alright? Well, that's true. See, our salvation began in eternity past. I didn't say we were saved in eternity. A lot of people, you know, say, oh, you believe in election. You believe that you're saved in eternity. No, we aren't saved in eternity. We come into this world born sinners, my friends. And we're all by nature the children of wrath just like anybody else. Until such a time God calms and calls us and saves us with a holy calling. 
It's not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace that was given us in Christ before the foundation of the world. But my friends, if there was not purpose and grace given us in Christ before the foundation of the world, He'd never save us. He'd never be born of the Spirit of God. Because, my friends, none would have eternal life. None's going to have eternal life. Remember, don't forget, John said 17, Thou hast given Him power. The Father gave Christ power over all flesh that He should give eternal life to who? To as many as Thou hast given Him. God chose a people, gave them to Christ to die for and to give eternal life to them. And those are the same sheep on the right hand that hear the words, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom, prepare for you from the foundation of the world. But my friends, it's personal. We already said their names were written in the Lamb's book of life. How much more personal can you get than your name? He know, he says over there in John 10.3, He says, I know my sheep. I call them all by name. Can you get any more personal than that? He had you in mind. And when Christ was on the cross, He had you in mind because He was buried your sins in His own body on the tree of the cross. And if you look over there in that old high priest, you know, Aaron, when he was to go into the holy place, go to Exodus chapter 28, verse 29, you know they had this breastplate that he carried in when he went into the holy place. And he says, you're going to bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate. Those names were there in the breastplate. He knew who he was represented unto God as the high priest. And my friends, that's a type of the Lord Jesus Christ who is our great high priest and the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ, as it talks about in Hebrews chapter 3. Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Jesus Christ. And my friends, he was not only the priest, he was the sacrifice. And he put, he, he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. But he was a great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Has no beginning of days nor an end of life. Made like unto the Son of God. That's what Melchizedek was. The Son of God. The eternal Son of God that was made flesh. As our great high priest. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Which means we do have a high priest. And my friends, He is a mediator of the new covenant. He's our great high priest. And when He, as our great high priest, brought Himself as a sacrifice unto God in our redemption, and that He was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him, when He brought, He offered Himself, I guarantee you He knew for whom He was dying. He bore their names before the Father and He died for their sins. It's a personal thing. And over there in Galatians chapter 2 where Paul says, he says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me, my friends. It's a personal election. He saw you as an individual. And He set His love upon you in your ruined condition. And He could have justly just let you go on to your just end. To your just end. We sing the song here, If my soul were sent to hell, thy righteous law approves it well. God was never under obligation to save a sorry character like me. But for some unknown reason, other than the love of God, God chose to have mercy. And He set His love. And He gave a people to the Son of God to save. Alright? It's personal. Alright? It's also unconditional. What do you mean by unconditional? See, some people have the idea, okay, you gotta say something about election, right? It's in the Bible, right? I mean, I've been speaking for about 55 minutes, and I've been talking about election, his people, right? His sheep. It's in the Bible, right? 
Hopefully nobody go away not knowing that elections taught in the Bible, whether you understand it or not. Hopefully you understand a few things. It's eternal, a choice made before the foundation of the world, and it's personal, but it's also unconditional on our part. Alright? But some people look at election this way. Okay, you know, you got me. I mean, he says he chose the people in Christ before the foundation of the world. I gotta give you that. That's what the Bible says, right? Yeah. And it's a personal thing, right? I mean, there's names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. From the foundation of the world. So he chose the people. It's personal. It's eternal. But I got it figured out. Here's what God did. He could do that because he knows the end from the beginning. And he could look down through time and see all the good people doing good and the bad people doing bad and say, okay, because I know what they're going to do. And I'm going to choose the good people and write their names in the Lamb's Book of Life. And that's the ones I'm going to give to the Son to save. Well, that's a conditional election based on God's foreknowledge. That's not the election that the Bible teaches. It wasn't based upon God looking down and see all the good folks doing good and, and, uh, and bad people doing bad. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, you know that because God in His infinite wisdom told us about the time that He actually took the look. He didn't take that look. Turn with me to Psalms chapter 14. Psalms 14. And you'll find the same thing in Psalms 53. He tells us about exactly the same thing in Psalms 53, mostly word for word. And I'll just say this. You know, if, if it's in the book one time, if God put it in His book one time, it's important. But if He put it in your book two times, He's trying to get your attention. Okay? Uh, he's getting our attention. This is found in Psalms 14 and also Psalms 53. We're going to read for just Psalms 14. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. Yes, my friends, He took the look. But the $64 question is, what did God see when He looked? Did he see the good people doing good? The bad people doing bad? Some believing, some not. Some seeking after the Lord, and some not. Decide to choose those that was believing, doing good, seeking the Lord, understanding the Lord, all these things. Did he do it through a foresight of their doings? No, because God took a look upon mankind in his ruined state. He looked at man in his ruined fallen state of nature to see if there was any of them of their own accord in their fallen state of nature that understood that was seeking God. And you know how many he saw? Not one. He didn't see a one of them. He said, surely there's one. No, there was not one. They're all gone aside. Let's keep reading. He Lord looked down upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. He says they're all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Do you see the state we're in by nature? A person who's dead and trespasses in sin. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. There's none that seeketh. There's none that understandeth. And Paul lifts this section of Scripture. I say Paul did. God moved 
Paul, who spake and wrote by inspiration to pull this passage out and put it in Romans chapter 3 where he says in verse 9, we have before proved of both Jews and Gentiles, they're all under sin, for it is written. Then he starts quoting. For it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Not a one of them. That's how we are by nature. And God took that look. He didn't see anybody seeking after God. Doing good. So that's not the... Doing good. God looking down and seeing people doing good is not the basis of His choosing them because when He looked, there was none good. They were all gone astray. None seeking after God. None loving God. None believing in God. You just fill in the blank. Anything toward God. Except maybe hatred toward God and indifference toward God. Wherefore the wicked say unto God, Depart from me, I desire not the knowledge of thy ways. None of them seeking God. So we know that God looking down and seeing the good folks doing this and doing that is not a moving cause of election. He saw them all going away, astray. He said, you know what I'm going to do? You know, He set His love upon the people. I don't know how to say it. And gave. He decided He was going to rescue some of fallen Adam's race from their destruction. That he would have been justly justified in letting them go their own way. Just like he did the angels. But he didn't do that. And I'm thankful. Because he decided that he'd have mercy and compassion on a portion of mankind. <clears throat> That's what I mean when it's unconditional on our part. God didn't look down and see good people doing good. Let's go real quickly to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. We could, we could spend a long time right here. I'm going to make it really quick. Verse 11 says, talking about Jacob and Esau, he says, for the children being not yet born, having neither done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand. It was said unto her, the elder should serve the younger. Before those boys had done any good or evil, See, it's not based upon what they do later in life on this issue of election. It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. For it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. He says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. So I don't like it that he hated Esau. Well, you know what? He could have uh, not loved any of us. Keep that in mind. He says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith unto Moses, here's the, here's the key. For he saith unto Moses, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion upon whom I will have compassion. So it's not of him. It's not of man that willeth. It's not the will of man, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. Someone says, well, you know, okay, I understand. God looked down, there's none good. But you know what? Maybe he looked down and saw people who would believe on him. Which I'd say is a good thing anyway. But he said, you know, what about belief? What about belief? God looked down through time, knew who would believe in the Lord. So he chose them. Doesn't work that way either. It's not based upon our belief. Alright, let's go to Romans chapter 10. I mean, uh, Luke, uh, John chapter 10. John chapter 10. You remember, we're already over there. They said, there were some that said, if thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. He says, I told you and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you believe not because you're not of my sheep. Now think about that just for a minute. There's a lot of people think that a person's not a sheep because he won't believe. 
Jesus had the other order here. He said, the reason you don't believe is because you weren't a sheep to begin with. You know what he said? He says, you believe not because you're not of my sheep. Which tells me you have to be a sheep in order to believe. And besides that, you've got to be a born again sheep in order to believe. Alright? You say, well, what do you think I am? Well, I don't know what you are. Do you love the Lord? Do you love Him? you understand that God is God? And that He's the one with whom you have to do? Do you know the Lord? Well, if you know the Lord, you're one of His sheep. If you love the Lord, you're one of His sheep. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're one of His sheep. That's an evidence. That you have eternal life. You say... When did all this plan start? Well, it sure, certainly didn't start when you believed. Because before you believed, there was a new birth. God saved you and called you with a holy calling, not according to what we did, but according to His purpose and grace that was given us in Christ before the world began. If Jesus Christ gave you eternal life, you know why He did? Because the Father gave Him a people to give eternal life to. Father, that. The hour has come, glorify thy son, that thy son may also glorify thee, as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life. See, he's on a mission. He died for his sheep, and then in time he comes and he speaks, and we live, and we're passed from death unto life. He gives us eternal life, and we'll never perish. I know my sheep, I give them to me eternal life, and they shall never perish. Alright? Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man's able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. But there's double security. Those sheep, the people chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, given to the Son to die for. He lays down His life for the sheep. He gives them the eternal life. And sometimes they're, they're quickened into life and saved with a holy calling, not according to their works, but according to the purpose and grace that was given them in Christ before the foundation of the world. And one of these days we're going to stand before Him when all nations are gathered unto Him. He's going to separate His sheep from the goats, the objects of His love. And he's going, to hear, he's going to say those words, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. There's a kingdom prepared because there was a people chosen and a love that God set. The love of God is amazing. And what's really amazing is that he would look at such a worm center of this earth and set his love on the likes of me. What do you say? May God bless you. It's my prayer.